0: The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the senior pastor here. And uh, friends, it's great to be with you. Uh, if you're a guest or a visitor, welcome. Uh, we're glad that you're here. Um, glad you're here. That uh, knowing that uh, there are many things that you could be doing with your Sunday morning, right? You could be uh, sleeping in. You could be having brunch at uh, your favorite restaurant. You could be uh, you could be going for a run or working out. There's many things that you could be doing, but you are here, and for that we are thankful. And, uh, and I know that there are many reasons why you might be here, right? You might be here because you came uh, with uh, anticipation because you come every week and to hear God's word, and uh, you want to return and come and hear it again and to pray and to sing and to dine at his table. Or, or maybe you came because uh, you were drug here, right? Like uh, a parent, a spouse, a sibling, a friend maybe pulled you here, and, and you're, you're actually thinking about that brunch place that, that you might rather be. Maybe that's why you're here, or maybe you're here and you're not sure why you're here. That maybe for the last number of weeks or months even uh, you've been feeling uh, a prompting uh, a desire that that you don't know where it came from to to start to really explore uh, what jesus says about himself and what the church says about him well regardless of why you're here uh, whatever those reasons um, we're glad that you are here because the truth is is that whether this is your first sunday your 50th Sunday, or your 500th Sunday in church, we are all in need of the same thing, and that's the grace of our Lord Jesus. And so, uh, so we're glad that you're here. Welcome. Well, this morning, uh, we are continuing in our series in the book of Joshua, this Old Testament book, the sixth book of the Bible. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Joshua chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, um, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you, and we project the passage on the screen so you can follow along there. But but you remember, if you were with us last week, that uh, Israel, the nation of Israel, uh, in Joshua 7, suffered a great defeat. Uh, They lost a battle at the city of Ai, and uh, many soldiers were killed in the midst of it. and, And they lost this battle because of the sin of one man. Achan had sinned. He had done what the Lord had instructed him not to do, and because of that, destruction came upon Israel. And so Israel, learning of this, they deal with the sin in their midst, right? But, but I is still there. It's still out there. It's still looming, right? It's off in the distance, this city that they're going to have to conquer, that they're going to have to take. And that's what chapter 8 is dealing with. Chapter 8 is telling us about the battle that ensues and it's telling us about the promise that is made and it's telling us about the renewal that God's people will engage in. So if you would follow along in chapter 8, I'm only going to read the first two verses I'm then going to summarize the middle of the passage and then we'll return to reading in verse 30. So God's word says this, and the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear and do not be dismayed take all the fighting men with you and arise go up to Ai. see i have given it into your hand the king of Ai and his people his city and his land and you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to jericho and its king only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves lay an ambush against the city behind it and so that's what they did israel did as god instructed them they joshua grabbed the troops, he, he called the men of arms, and they went to battle against Ai. They surround the city and they take it, they lay it to waste. And then after they have defeated the city, these people who lived in Ai, they, they left that region and they moved to another area, a place in between two mountains. And that's where our reading picks up in verse 30. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native born with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterwards he read all the words of the law, blessing the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, and the women, and the little ones, and the sojourners who lived among them. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and ask now that you would simply help us. Help us to understand it, help us to um, see your grace, help us to see your glory. Father, uh, minister to your people through your word and allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts to please you, our God and our King, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, Cap, my wife, when uh, she was uh, 15... Uh, she was looking forward to the day when she would get her license like every well not every like many 15 uh, year olds and so in the days and the months and the weeks leading up to her 16th birthday she did all the things she needed to do to be able to get her license right she got her learner's permit she took a class she logged all of her hours and she was ready so on her 16th birthday she could pass the test and if you know Kat, no surprise to you she passed right because um, this is what she does right she she prepared she came she saw, she conquered, and she got her license. <laughs> and with her license, she got this newfound freedom, right? Being able to drive herself to work, to school, to all the places she goes. And 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 just a few months after getting her license, as she was leaving her neighborhood, her neighborhood dead ended. One of the ways out dead ended into this uh, four or uh, four-lane highway, this four-lane road. It was down in Florida, and so this day she's coming. I think she was going to work, she told me. She comes to the stop sign. She looks, and she looks both ways, right? She's minding the law. She's doing what she's supposed to do. And she starts to pull out because there's a break in the traffic. She starts to move into the that middle lane, right? The suicide lane, at least that, that's what we call it. I don't think that's the technical term, but... Um, but that's what she does. She pulls out, starts to pull out into the suicide lane safely, properly, appropriately, and then whack, she's struck. The back of her car is hit. A car came out of nowhere, going exceeding the speed limit by many miles per hour and t- took out the back of her car. Now, thankfully, Kat was totally safe. She was fine. She was able to walk out of the car. She actually walked home. (laughs) She walked across that four-lane highway and returned to her home. But she was just a few months after getting her license when this happened. And so you could imagine what this may have done to her nerves what it had done to her confidence, what it did to her desire to drive, right? I mean, she didn't want to get back in a car, and she certainly was going to find another way out of her neighborhood, right? But that night, when her mom returned home from work, her mom took the keys to her car and put them in Cat's hand and got her back in the car, and they drove to that same stop sign and they started to pull out onto that road. And Kat said that that night as she was doing so, she was so nervous that her hands were shaking as she drove. It's not hard to imagine, right? To return to the scene of the accident just a few hours after she had experienced an accident. It's not hard for us to imagine that she would be nervous, afraid, anxious. I imagine that that's actually what Israel was feeling as I is looming, right? I mean, they they had just had this defeat. They had just lost this battle, and now they have to go back. Now they have to return, right? We're told in last week's passage that after they suffered defeat, their hearts melted, that they were afraid, that they were nervous, that they were anxious, and yet there was I, Our passage tells us, God says to them, take all the fighting men with you and arise, go up to I. Just as Cat returned to the scene of the accident, Israel is returning to the place of defeat. Surely fear, anxiety, worry. Surely their hands were shaking. But this time would be different. This time would be different. You see, when Kat returned to the scene of that accident, she wasn't alone this time. In the seat beside her was her mom. She didn't have to grit her teeth. She didn't have to steal her nerves. But her mom's presence said to her, "You're, you're not alone. I'm with you. You have nothing to fear. And that's what Israel heard that morning when God called them to go to Ai. He said to them, See, I have given it into your hand, the king of Ai, and his people, and his city, and his land. You see, like an athlete, guaranteeing victory before the big game, God guarantees that this battle will be different. That where they had once found failure, they're now going to find success. And why is this going to be different? What is the difference between chapter 7 and chapter 8? Well, it's not the soldiers. It's it's not the plan of attack. It's not that I is overconfident, thinking, you know, we beat them once, we're going to beat them again. No, the difference is the Lord. The difference is his presence and his promise of success. His promise. You see it? He said, I I have given into your hand the king of I, and his people, and his city, and his land. In other words, he's saying some of you might be hesitant, some of you might be afraid, some of you might be unsure of the outcome, but God says, I am giving it to you. He goes on and says, do not fear, and do not be dismayed. Now, this is the first time we've heard this verse, this phrase, do not fear, and do not be dismayed. It's going to show up again in a few chapters from now, but, but it sounds eerily similar to another phrase we've already heard, doesn't it? You remember way back in chapter one, we heard in the first few verses of the book, what did God say to his people? Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. I mean, do not fear, do not be dismayed. Isn't that just basically another way of saying Be strong and courageous. This is what God is telling his people. You need not fear, but be strong. You need not be dismayed, but be courageous. And why? Because God has promised this time will be different. And it was. It was. Israel does exactly what God instructed them. They set up an ambush for the city. They surround it. They capture it. They destroy it. They win the victory, just as God promised. But what's amazing about our passage is that God's promise doesn't end with the taking of Ai. Actually, we see an older promise coming to fruition later in the passage. Because after the win, after the battle, Israel is going to leave the region of Ai, and they start to move to this place in between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And there, they're going to engage in a covenant renewal ceremony. And we're going to get to that in a few minutes. But this area that they stopped in, this valley in between these two mountains, it wasn't just some random place. It wasn't like they they went and they just kind of walked until they got tired. And, you know, right in between these mountains, this valley, this is as good a place as any. That's not what was going through their minds. It's not some random place. No, this valley that they found themselves in was highly significant in the life and history of Israel. It was highly significant because their forefather before them, Abraham, had been in this place before. You see, we've, we've talked a lot about the promise made to Abraham as we've been going through the book of Joshua, right? Because the, the book of Joshua is about the land, and the promise of the land goes all the way back to Genesis, right? goes all the way back to Abraham, And so we've talked about how God made a promise to Abraham that he's going to give him this land to his descendants and that his descendants are going to outnumber the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore and and how he's going to bless Abraham so that Abraham would be a blessing to all the nations and his descendants would be a blessing. We've talked about all that, but what we haven't talked about is where that promise was made. That promise was made at Shechem, which is the valley between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. You see, the promise that God had made to Abraham that his descendants would one day have the land, it is the very place that the people find themselves now. It's the very place that Jacob, one of Abraham's descendants, would purchase the land and he would pitch his tent and he would dig a well and he would find rest. You see, the very place in which they stop The very place in which they're going to renew the covenant is the place of God's promise. What we are seeing is time and again how God is fulfilling his promises. How God is bringing his promises to fruition. Right? If if there is one thing that we take away from the book of Joshua... There's one thing at the end of this, right? We're, we're going to go through the second week of January. At the second week of January, when we move off of Joshua, when we move into the gospel of Mark, that's where we're going next. But, but, but regardless, when, when we move there, if there's one thing you take away, I hope it's not conquest. I hope it's not Jericho or Rahab or any of those things, though those are all interesting and good and all those sorts of things. I hope the one thing we take away is how Joshua is about the faithfulness of God. Because that's what we see time and time again. God's faithfulness to his promises. His faithfulness to the promise he made to Abraham. His faithfulness to the promise he made to Joshua. His faithfulness to us. You see, if, if God is faithful to Abraham and to Joshua, we can be confident that he's faithful to the promises he's made to us. Right? Promises like I will never leave you nor forsake you. Promises like the work I began in you, I will bring to completion. Promises like you are my people and I am your God. Those are the promises that he has made to us. And I have to tell you that, that there are days, especially that completion promise, where I look at my life and I feel like, um I think he forgot the promise. Because <laughs> my life doesn't feel very complete yet. But when we see how he fulfills these promises, when he hasn't forgotten what he said to Joshua, when he hasn't forgotten what he has said to Abraham, how he is bringing them to fruition, we can be sure that he's fulfilling those promises to us as well. We see the faithfulness of God in his promise. This wasn't just a random bit of dirt or an accidental stop, it was hallowed ground a place of God's promise that's coming to fruition, and it's also the place of renewal. See, that's the other thing I want us to see, not just God's promise, but also the renewal that takes place. And we see the renewal in verses 30 through 35. It's a covenant renewal ceremony. And what we're told, the picture that we're given is that there's these two mountains, Mount Ebal Mount Gerizim. And the valley of Shechem is in between. And on one mountain, Mount Ebal, they build an altar of uncut stones, right? So an altar that hasn't been formed or fashioned by man, right? They just take the stones that God has provided on the mountainside and they make an altar. And on this altar, they offer sacrifices, burnt burnt offering and a peace offering. And they do this because this is exactly what they were instructed to do way back in Deuteronomy 11. In Deuteronomy 11... We're told that when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. And so that's what they do. They do a burnt offering on Mount Ebal. Now, now the burnt offering was an offering that made atonement for sin. Okay, made atonement for sin. So the way that this worked was they would take uh, an animal, they would take a calf, a lamb, right? They would take it, and the priest would lay his hands upon the animal. And in laying his hands upon the animal, what he was doing was he was symbolizing the sin, not just of, his own, of himself, but the sin of all the people being laid on that animal. And then they would take that animal and sacrifice it. Because in sacrificing it, they are being atoned for. That sacrifice, that burnt offering is atoning for their sin. Okay, so that's what they do. They do the burnt offering, but then after the burnt offering, what do we have? We have a peace offering. So this peace offering, it's also an act of worship, just like the burnt offering. But the peace offering is a celebration that peace between God and man has been restored. Okay, so think about that. Atonement needs to be made, right? We saw why atonement needs to be made last week with Achan's sin, right? Our sin requires atonement. It needs a sacrifice. And so they have this burnt offering that atones for their sin, and now they have peace with God. And so they celebrate, they have this peace offering, but it doesn't stop there. You see, the, the ceremony continues. They have atonement. They have the peace offering, the burnt offering, the peace offering. And then they read the law. They read the law. So, so the picture is, right, this is what Joshua does. He takes half of Israel, right, all the Israelites, the sojourners. Sojourners would have been the people not of ethnic Israel. So Rahab, people who had come in, right, not, non-ethnic Jews, so Israelites, sojourners, leaders, judges, right, priests, everyone. He takes them all and he spreads them out. He separates them, half on Mount Ebal, half on Mount Gerizim. I'm told in my reading uh, about this passage, I haven't been here personally, so I can't say for sure, but I've been told that this area, these two mountains in the valley, it form a natural amphitheater. So that you can actually stand, um, Francis Schaeffer uh, talks about how uh, you can stand on, on the one mountainside, and someone else could be on the other. So Chris could be on the other side and I'm over here and I can talk to Chris with, by just raising my voice with no amplification, no speakers, no microphone, right? You can just raise your voice and he can hear me and he, I can hear him. That's pretty cool. It's pretty neat. It's a little amphitheater that God's people find themselves. And, And in this place, after they have the burnt offering, after they have the peace offering, Joshua reads the law so that everyone can hear. He reads the law about God's curses that come upon those who break his covenant and about God's blessing that comes to those whom God shows favor. And everyone hears it. And everyone hears it, atonement and peace and obedience atonement and peace and covenant stipulation now now the order in which this takes place is actually really important it's really important and we we shouldn't forget the order that t- this takes place right because it goes atonement peace obedience not obedience peace atonement it's really important for us to remember the order because oftentimes in our lives we reverse the order. We think I will have peace with God. I will be right with God. My sin will be atoned for when I obey, right? I mean, don't we think that? Like like we've thought before, right? Like God will receive me. He will accept me. He will forgive me. He will love me when I get my act together, when I get my life in line, right? Don't we think that? I mean, y- y'all have been around the church long enough, some of you, that you know you're not supposed to say those things, but you act like it, don't you? I do. <laughs> I do. But what's the order? It's not obedience, peace, atonement. No, you see, you see if that's the news that we're being told in Joshua, then, then y'all, that's not good news, because the truth is, is I'm never going to have my life well enough strong enough, right? I'm never going to get it in line enough that I can make peace with God. No, it's not good news, but, but the good news is that the order is God atones for our sin, there is peace with the Lord. And because there is peace, because there is forgiveness, because there is acceptance, then he says, obey. Then he says, follow me right we we will stumble and trip and fall short as the hymn puts it if you tarry till you're better you'll never come at all and that's the truth you see we don't find forgiveness and acceptance and peace through doing we do because god has given us peace and acceptance and forgiveness and we see that in the order In which these sacrifices are offered, but we see it not just in the order, but we also see it in the fact that at the center of Israel, in between the mount of blessing and the mount of curse, is the Lord. You see, at the center of this entire renewal, not just metaphorically at the center, but physically at the center is the Lord himself. Look at verse 33. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native-born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal. So you hear it, right? Half on one side, half on the other, half on the side of, of blessing, half on the side of curse, and there in the middle is the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And you remember what the ark is? It is the symbol of God's presence amongst his people. In the midst of offering, in the midst of call to obedience, in between blessing and curse is the Lord. At the center of his promise, at the center of forgiveness and peace, at the center of covenant stipulation is God. What this is telling us is that God is not only faithful to his promise, but he's faithful to his covenant. He's faithful to his people. God is at the center of this ceremony. It's telling us that what we need is God himself. What we need is the Lord. And many years after this covenant renewal ceremony, on that same bit of land there was a woman who came to draw water from a well. And as she went to the well of Jacob to draw water, she found something to her surprise. Because there at the well was a Jewish man. And a Jewish man who spoke to her, and she was surprised because she was a Samaritan. And Samaritans and Jews, they didn't interact, they didn't talk to one another, and yet there was this Jewish man. And in the midst of her surprise, he said to her, Jesus said these words to that woman. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You see, on that same bit of land, at that same well that Jacob dug, in that same place where God had established his people, where they had their covenant renewed with him, in that same place, Jesus was telling that woman, what you need isn't water from the well. What you need is me. What you need is a water that brings eternal life. What you need is the one who supplies that water. What you need is the one who stands before you. And Jesus told her later in that conversation that he was the Christ, the one who was pr- the promises pointed to. He was saying, what you need is the Lord. She was hearing on that day what israel saw in Joshua 8 and what we need to see and hear today that at the center of the promises and at the midst of renewal what we need is the lord the one who made atonement who made atonement not with a bull but made atonement in his perfect sacrifice the one who brought peace not by an offering but by the death his death on the cross the one who calls us to obey and follow because he has made us his. He is the one that we need, and he is the one who is faithful to his promises. He is the one who calls us to renewal. What we need is the Lord, the one who is at the center of his promises and is the one who calls us to be renewed. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. Thank you that you have been faithful to your promises of old and you are faithful to your promises today. That you have been faithful to Joshua and to Israel. That you have been faithful to the woman at the well. That you have been faithful to us. And so we pray, Lord, that today, as we sing and we pray, as we engage in this worship service, this covenant renewal service, that we again would see your faithfulness and worship and honor you our God and our King, in whose name we pray, and God's people said together, Amen.